You are listening to the People-Centric Podcast, where we talk through the toughest challenges that people face at work and give practical advice to fixing those challenges. Thanks for joining our movement to create workplaces that are happier, healthier, aligned, and empowered by putting people at the center of all that we do. People-centric leaders. Thanks for joining us again today. My name is Diana Royalty. I'm with People-Centric. And joining us today, I also have Stephanie Anderson. Stephanie, will you say hi? Hi, everyone. How was your How was your holiday weekend? We just finished the 4th of July here. How was that for you? Oh, it was lovely. I mean, it was a little too hot for my taste, but we read books, we gardened, we took walks. It was great. That Sounds lovely. That sounds lovely. I also have Bethany Taff. Bethany, how are you today? Oh no. <laughs> I muted or unmuted and muted, but I'm great. It was a great fourth of July. Saw lots of fireworks, had food, slept, whatever. It was good. Love it. Love it. The fireworks are the best part of fourth of July, but you have to stay up late enough to see them. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't. So you went to bed? Yeah, I did. Well, it gets really late here or it gets dark here really late. And so t- fireworks didn't start until like 1030. And I was like, that's way past my bedtime. Really late, yeah. Okay. Really we, were, we were home by 1030. So yeah, it just, we just, they didn't start until later here and it passed my bedtime. Uh, Philip, are you, did you stay up to watch the fireworks? Are you like a night owl? Uh, uh, during holiday seasons? night out yes but this is the first year in years we saw only literally fireworks when we were driving back into town uh, from doing stuff at the lake which is the first which was crazy you know so we saw like two fireworks go up and that was it we didn't make it to any other fireworks shows this year uh, though our neighbors gave us those thunderous sounds you know all week long there was nothing but fireworks in the city Everywhere. all our little neighbor dogs were so upset but it was a great weekend and super stoked to be back though especially for this podcast we came in today just to make this very special podcast well thanks for joining us guys i'm so glad you're all here yeah so today we're gonna talk about buy-in I've seen a lot of articles that say like the best leaders create buy-in and managers who create buy-in are have a higher efficiency and all of this good stuff. But what does that actually mean and how do you do it? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Before we jumped on here, we were talking about how difficult it is to create buy-in, even when you know that that's what you're supposed to do. It's just hard to do. And we came up with a ton of examples of how not to do it. <laughs> But today we want to talk about how we should do that. So I think my first question is, Bethany, could you start a little bit about creating buy-in and what that looks like and what that means and why it's important? Because I feel like you do this a lot with our clients. Sure. I think, you know, the idea of buy-in is wanting to make sure that you're getting everybody on the same page and moving in their, in, in one direction together. And so it might come from you individually as a leader, you might be trying to create buy-in with your team. You might be trying to create buy-in with the people around you. So like your coworkers, 
You might be in a position within your company, like a sales type of position where you're trying to create buy-in with um, people externally outside of your organization so that they will come work with you or utilize your product or service or things like that. So there's lots of different ways that you do this. You also probably do this in your personal relationships, in your marriages, with your kids, lots of different things like that. Because you want to make sure that you're getting on the same page with people and so that you can make decisions efficiently together, all of that. I don't know if that was, do you, would you add anything, Philip? Oh, no, I think that's spot on. Really, uh, so much of life is about building buy-in. And yet, to Diana's point, we have very few examples of when that's really awesome. If you think of the best buy-in experience you have ever had, you know, when it comes to a professional setting, so you kind of have to pause sometimes and think, well, actually, when did that happen? When was, you know, the decision just not made for us or something like that? I was talking to someone recently who was an engineer for the longest time and their firm had been bought and sold six different times in a 10 year period Mm -hmm. by different, you know, larger organizations that would do investments. And they made the joke that every organization logo was just a Velcro sticker on their shirts because they changed so often. Um, Mm -hmm. And in that setting, it made it really hard for them to feel like they had buy-in in any way, because the second they started in one direction, they were sold, someone else had new rules. And so they went in different. Mm -hmm. So um, again, I think the examples of what not to do are so numerous. Those rare ones of how to do it well are really golden. That's good. And that reminded me too, this is not a story we talked about in advance, but I was just thinking about a conversation I had with somebody and they're really struggling within, within their company because they have a new leader that came in and is making lots and lots of changes. And honestly, nobody really trusts this person at this point. They've been there about six months. They're a high level leader, a C-suite leader. This is none of our clients. So just so you guys all know, (laughs) and, and they're making lots of changes and this person and several other people are really struggling with some of the changes. And when I kind of was hearing about what some of the things they were doing or some of the, some of the adjustments that were being made, they're not all bad changes in and of themselves. And I think this, the thing is this person might be really right, but because they came in and within six months started making really big organizational changes, it ruffled a lot of feathers. And again, they, I don't think they're all wrong changes. It was just that this person didn't take the time to create buy-in and build trust with that whole team. And so as a result, people are struggling with morale and they're struggling to trust this person and all of these things um, because they just don't know. They don't know the person. They don't know why they're making all of these changes. And so that's just a, that was just like a quick example that I was reminded of mm-hmm. as we're thinking about this. Yeah, I think you started in a really good place. You said something that I think we should talk about and you said trust. And I think that is probably where we have to start with building buy-in. But how do you how do you start to build trust with someone? Is it asking a bunch of questions? Is it just sitting down with them and becoming best friends with them? Like what's what are some of our ways that we go in and build trust with our teams and with the people we interact with? Yeah, I like that you brought up the question part, Diana, because I think sometimes, you know, Bethany, I'm thinking about your story that leaders come in and they want to make their mark, right, in their organization. And sometimes they get this idea like, well, we just need to be bold and we need to make all of these changes. And they end up kind of alienating the team in the process. And so then I think sometimes the solution goes to, well, I just should have asked the team more questions so that they knew what I wanted. 
in that process. And if they could have just understood my goal, then it would have been all fine. And I think there is some good to that and truth to it of like, if you're not explaining to your team, the why behind some of those decisions, you should, you know, and and that's a helpful part of it. But I think that's like one part of creating buy-in. I think the other side that people miss a lot of the times is actually allowing the team to ask you questions and leaving time and space for them to, to ask you or to get to know you in that circumstance, to understand the why. And that way it's not just all one-way conversation. Everything is coming out of your mouth and they only get to respond to what you're saying versus like, Hey, we're actually like giving people time to process information. We're giving them time to think about what questions they might want to ask. Cause right. Some of us are really quick on our feet and we can immediately think of 15 questions. Others of us need more time to process and like sit with the information and think about it. So as a leader, are we actually giving people the time and opportunity to ask us great questions? Cause I think that builds a lot of trust is to say like, Hey, like I'm not just going to move forward without hearing really your true input. And I think you just touched on something that was something else I wanted to, to talk about is hearing, right? A lot of what we do is we go in and just listen. And I thought maybe one of you could talk about like coaching and how we just set the framework for trust with that by starting out with just listening and not listening to hear, but listen or not listening to respond, but listening to hear. So how do we go in and do that? What, what do we do to just listen? Yeah. So we talk about, I think that, so we do, we work to create buy-in both in our coaching relationship that we have with clients, but also in coaching people to create buy-in effectively. And so, so much of like, so I'll kind of address both, but it's, but I think that whenever I'm sitting in a coaching conversation with somebody and I see a direction that they need to be going in. <laughs> I can't just always tell people, this is what you should do. Sometimes there's a moment for that, but a lot of times people can't just hear it when you say you should do this because they don't own that decision and that process. And they're not sure how that maybe you've gotten there or they didn't come to that conclusion themselves or things like that. So sometimes we have to spend some time um, asking the questions of like, okay, so what happened to get you up to this point? Or what approaches did you take so far? You know, what, what approaches have you taken? And then, and how did people respond to that? You know, and then, and then sort of helping people just reflect on like, what, what was, what was people's response to you kind of going in and leading it that way, or trying to make this change or whatever, and then asking like, is that, is that the, is that the response that you were hoping for <laughs> and then getting them? And it feels like you're just breaking it up into like baby steps. Right. So it feels a little bit like tedious. Right. But sometimes we need that to have somebody help us kind of just break it down and say, and like realize like all the steps that it took to get to this point and maybe where we need to stop and, and make an adjustment. And so then we can be able to ask the, okay, is that the response that you wanted to get? Okay. You know, what, what is the response that you want to get? What were you hoping for? And then be able to go back and ask like, okay, so this is the approach that you took. What could you do? What could you have done a little bit differently to get that outcome that you were looking for? 
And it's like, again, it just feels really tedious, but I think that it's really, really important to be able to ask some questions and be able to hear, help people process through it. But then I, the other thing I think, so this, this question of just listening to, I would say like in like coaching conversations, so much of what makes it work is spending the first one or two sessions that we have just listening and hearing from people and asking lots of questions and not really saying, okay, here's what we're going to do yet, because we have to be able to give people the opportunity to share and give their opinions and help just think out loud. And then there's a moment where we can switch and say, okay, now let's think about what the next step is going to look like. And I think that that, you know, in the the example that I shared, that story at the beginning that I shared, the person that I was talking to about this specific leader, I was kind of hearing about what was going on. And I said, yeah, I think that this person probably has a lot of good ideas and they want to come in. And to Stephanie's point, I think they want to make their mark. They want to be a really effective leader and they see all these opportunities and so they were, they don't want to waste time, but maybe they should have spent the first six months going around and asking questions about, Hey, where have you been? What's been working really well? What's not working really well? How can I support you? What opportunities do you see for this organization over the next couple of years? And trying to have those, ask those questions of people and hear from them before then just jumping into a brand new organization and saying, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. And it might end up being the same things that he was going to do anyways, but sometimes people don't know that <laughs> and they need to know that like you heard them and are starting from a place of knowledge that you've gained from the people who are already there and in the situation. Because I think even in our work, if I were to go into a coaching situation, I might know a little bit about what's going on and I might have some initial thoughts about they probably need to go in this direction, but it's going to be a lot more effective if. I stop and listen to them and hear where they've been and what they've been going through and then help them walk through some next steps versus just coming in and acting like I already know everything about them and where they're at and what they need. So that was a long answer to what you were. No, I, I love that. I think it does highlight a little bit of how we do what we do and how we go and consult with people and how we coach people is we literally have listening tours in the beginning of our engagements. And we go in and we ask those questions what's working really well, what's not working. And we listen to people and we hear them. And it amazes me how many times a leader will say something like, oh, my team just doesn't know what's going on. They're not paying attention. They need, you know, more, they keep saying they need more resources, but do they really, or, you know, they have no idea what I'm dealing with. And then we ask them like, what's working and what's not working. And they absolutely have the same answer as the leader. They know what's going on, but no one has taken the time to sit down and hear them and say, if there was opportunity here, how would you handle it? What would you do? If you could change anything, what would you change? And most of the time they know, they know the problems, they can see the big issues and it's getting that alignment and getting everyone on the same page and hearing them. And then saying, I heard you, I'm going to go do something about it. Those are really important moments in, in what we do and how we do it. And I think those are important moments in creating the buy-in. It's that first part of listening and hearing first. So I love your answer. It was great. 
I, yeah, I agree with that. And to echo some of what you just said, Diana, I think sometimes why the assuming breaks the buy-in so hard, right? As you said, like you're coming in maybe as a, as the leader or even a new leader in those moments. And, you know, it's a, a pitfall we have to watch out for even as consultants is, is coming in and making those assumptions and assuming that the people there didn't see that that was the problem or that they didn't already have a great solution. I think it creates this, this story sometimes on teams of like, oh, they just think that they know more or they're smarter than us somehow that they're coming in from the outside and, oh, well, like, you know, of course this is the solution. And usually it's oversimplifying something that's probably really complex and nuanced within an organization. And to your point, Diana, like the team probably already knows what it is. They just may not feel empowered toward a solution. They probably already have some of those things. And another thing that I was thinking of while you both Diana and um, Bethany were talking was, you know, we will say a lot like effective communication can only really happen when you're willing to admit that you might be wrong. So that's the other thing too, is like, as you work to create buy-in and maybe you embark on some listening tours to really understand what your team or your community needs from you is be willing to admit that you could be completely wrong. You could be completely wrong and maybe going down the wrong path or that your ideas aren't feasible. And you're only going to communicate effectively with people when you're willing to have that mindset. Otherwise, if you go in, you're not listening to actually like understand. You're just playing the role. And I think people sniff that out pretty quickly too. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, we always say like people are smart and capable and they know what they're doing and people don't show up to work to do a bad job. They're showing up and they're doing a good job. They're just not aligned with what you want from them because you haven't talked to them about it. We briefly, for a very tiny moment, mentioned talking about the why in something and understanding the why. And I think we should spend a little bit of time explaining what we mean by that and how we get to that and why it's so important. So why is the why important when creating buy-in? Well, people-centric language, you know, we always take it to the basics of alignment and empowerment. And I think the why really leads on this alignment piece. So we're aligned in the same direction. We understand where we're going and why we're going there. And I think a lot of what we do, whether it's the five systems, you know, people, processes, communication, those pieces uh, together, all this blends into alignment in our direction. And so if a decision is made that feels like an extreme pivot, you know, it's this new gun ho leader that has experience that was called in for a reason to make a really great change. But that happens without that trusted how the how is not so trusted. I don't like how you're doing this, but I see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I think the breakdown can happen. But the why is so crucial because really you're like, yeah, this is very fundamental. Mm-hmm. It should line up with our values and our mission. We all should be doing the same way anyway. So it could be you know a medical clinic that is making some internal changes to improve access for patients. That's a great why. Mm-hmm. But if that's not understood to a whole team and a whole staff, um, you know, or a business that changes the building system or changes the structure or org structure. And I think that that's why it's so essential because again, there's thought behind it. Changes are rarely made without intention because nobody likes change to begin with, especially if you're in leadership. Change is not usually the most exciting moment. So change in my mind, it only happens when people leadership usually see a reason for it. Mm -hmm. But I guess in my mind, a way to kind of test how 
uh, how bought in it is, is if a decision is made and people who talk about the decision use the words I or use the words we. Mm -hmm. And if you can use the words, we have made this change because blah, blah, blah. And it's a genuine we, you know, not just for lip service. That shows there's a group of people. And then the kind of, I, I think, adds value also to the change. So it's not just one person. I made this change for all of us because it's a, we made this change because, and that I think helps that whole process come out smoother for a team. Yeah. I think that's a really good, those are really good points. And it makes me think about like when you're on the other side of maybe changes that are happening in your organization, how do you respond when you don't feel like there was buy-in that was created? And I think that like one, we also talk about like assuming the best intention about people, because what you just said was, you know, that there, there was an intention behind some of those changes, whether you got to be involved with that or not. And so sometimes you can't always change the fact that like there wasn't buy-in created and maybe the leader at your organization should have done a better job to create buy-in with you, but sometimes that doesn't happen. So then what do you do? How do you, how do you get on board or not, I guess, and move, try to move forward and I think that like one, take the same advice we at, we said to the leader of like, ask the questions. If you don't know why something's being done, ask the questions to whoever you can to your boss. Um, and hopefully they have an answer and they just maybe haven't communicated that well. And two, I think assume the best about, about your leaders too, and that they're making good decisions and it goes back to the why. So Again, the person that I was talking to about this new leader that came into their organization, some some questions that I asked them, I said, do you trust your CEO, like the main person? I said, do you trust this person? And they said, yes. And I said, okay, do you do you believe in the mission and vision and values of your organization? And they said, yes. And I said, do you like the director? that you're going, the, the company is going overall. And they said, yes. And I said, do you like the role that you're in? <laughs> and they said, yes. And I said, do you have a good boss? And they said, yes. And I said, okay. So then I said, trust those things. And if, if the answer was no to any of those other things, then maybe that would be another conversation. But if you really trust the leaders of your organization and you trust the direction that they've set for it, then trust them in this decision too, and that they'll make the right choices with that leader or the changes that are happening or things like that too. And so that's, that would be some of my advice or some of the questions that I would ask you if you're sort of falling victim to not being included in some of these decisions or not being able to have bought into to what's happening at your workplace. I love that. Cause I think it's so easy to feel lost in an organization. It's so easy to be like, I don't know, those people up there at the top make all of these decisions and then I just have to deal with it. But I do think that a lot of those leaders at the top, to your point, had intent, right? They did it for a reason. And so it's easy for that intent and those reasons to not get filtered down. And it's easy for that communication to get lost. And so I was gonna tell a story about how Donna and I, very much trust each other, but think differently about the business. And so when we make decisions, we oftentimes will go to each other and be like, Hey, I know you want to do this thing. You've told me you want to do this thing, but I'm struggling to understand why I'm struggling to understand 
how you came to that conclusion, why you think that is the thing that we should do. And so we have lots of conversations around, I trust you, but I trust you. And that's probably the better phrase. I trust you. And I need you to show me what you see. And so asking those questions have been good for us. And I see more and more what he sees and he sees more and more what I see. And I think leaders don't mind being asked those questions in the right way. If I went to Don and I was like, uh, bruh, you're an idiot. And I don't think this is right. He would not take that well. He's a very calm human being, but he would not take that well. But if I go to him and I say, I trust you and I want to follow you and I want to do this right. I just need more information around the why or the how or the process or something, right? Because I'm struggling to get on board. I'm struggling to be aligned with you. I think those are really good conversations to have. And most leaders will not turn their backs to that. They will welcome that and be like, oh my gosh, sit down. I'm sorry. I didn't explain that more. Thank you for the question. So I love that there is a way to still get buy-in, even if you're feeling a little bit forced to do this thing. Stephanie, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to add there that I, I really liked that you just humanized this whole old process too, right? You're like, most leaders would actually just love it if you came and did this. And I know there's probably at least one person listening that's like, uh, I don't know that that's true. You haven't met my boss or you haven't met this leader. Um, and we, we were talking about this even recently, like with different clients that we have about this idea of like executive presence and like, why are we so intimidated by leaders sometimes? And just recognizing like, we're all human doing this. And I think there's always like a good dose of that that when you're either trying to create buy-in or maybe you feel like you're being the one kind of pushed into things in an organization that you don't feel comfortable with, I think it's always the right move to just like take a moment and acknowledge we are people at work and that there's probably a good ounce of like humanization toward our leaders or toward our team that we could apply to this that would help us all understand and even bring that back to the why of like, we're all here for, for a reason. We all have motivations for why we work and why that we do the things that we do and, and the careers that we choose. And so like helping just apply that to this moment that if you're struggling to get buy-in or you're struggling to buy in, maybe just take a moment and be like, okay, can we just talk like human to human for a moment? This freaks me out. Or I get frustrated every time we talk about this. <laughs> And just having some of those real conversations that I think sometimes, especially in super corporate settings, it, I, I know it feels like you can't, but you can, and it could be really, really good. Yeah, for sure. And I will say one way to identify when you don't have that, which we've touched on a little bit, when you don't have the buy-in and you don't have the alignment is when people start using language like us versus them. Those guys at the top, they do this to us. We are just doing our jobs. It's a, it's a, a clear separation and it's not all one team, but what Philip was saying earlier, like if you can say we and mean it and really mean that, like we actually did this together. We built, we brought a team together. We figured this out for the best way for everyone involved. If we can really say we and mean it, then there is that alignment and that buy-in throughout the whole thing. So the us versus them language is something we sort of look for to see if we have buy-in or not. So. With the idea of buy-in too, you know, I think there's probably a few people listening who think, oh my gosh, you're, you know, I have to send a survey to my whole team or we have to have a whole team huddle before we decide what to set the thermostat to, you know, that's 
clearly not what buy-in is, though maybe a temperature that might be helpful for people to have an idea of what is appropriate or not. But we don't, I don't touch the thermostat here. I just feel like I shouldn't do that. But that's, you know, growing up in a really, we didn't do that in our house either. But basically, not that there's been a moment here where Don said something, maybe I should try Maybe we should have a conversation ourselves yeah. about that. Now it you're has- talking yourself into buy-in for the thermostat. You're like, I know, oh, maybe I should. It has been a hot July. Stephanie intro. the deal. Uh, but you can change it exactly. <laughs> I, should, I should push it. No, uh, it's just right in the front by the camera. So basically, what I, I think the thing with buy-in that we can we can forget doesn't mean that everyone has had a voice in a decision either. But it's really that fine-tuning how decisions are made, however they're made, and then also how they're shared and communicated with the team. And there's some things mm-hmm. people probably just don't care about. But I think that, which to your point, you made also earlier, Diana, that how is so important. So again, we're not saying buy-in is everyone has a decision power mm-hmm. on every decision made, yeah. but it really is as a group of leadership or teams or however you have influence, when you use your influence and it impacts others, how you go about making that happen in a way where other people don't feel like they're commanded, right. but they're you know, included or understand why a thing has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think that was a great distinction you just made, Philip, the how versus the who of, yeah, we're not, we're not going to create a perfectly democratic society within our, our businesses, right? Or in an organization, like as much as we all love that idea, and especially as Americans, we've just celebrated democracy in our country. It's, it's not actually true, is it? You know, like there, we can't make every decision completely democratically, but I loved what you said, Philip, of like, what we can do is we can help everyone on our team understand how decisions are made and what parts of those processes they can give input into. Again, that doesn't mean like we're creating buy-in doesn't mean you give away all of your leadership authority or decision-making power. There are going to be some moments where leaders have to step in and they are the ones who really, at the end of the day, they make the decision. That is what they're entrusted to do organizationally and apply their wisdom and expertise to that. So it's, again, the who versus the how are two really distinct things that I'm I'm glad that we've clarified there. I think that's important takeaway for leaders because we talk about this a lot. Even recently, I've been talking to some leaders who I think struggle with that because when we tell them, you got to build a biome, they're like, well, I can't run everything past that. <laughs> like, no, you're right. You can't. And you're not giving them your decision-making power, but you're helping them understand how you make these decisions and when are the appropriate moments that they could give feedback and input. And this is a great conversation. We've talked about the how we've talked about the why we've talked about listening. What are some other things? Have we, have we missed something about buy-in and and how to create that? Or do you feel like we've humanized it and made sort of a process for that? Yeah. Good. Okay. I know I'm going through our who, what, when, where, why. I know I was like, we did a lot. We did a lot. That was a lot. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. We hope you got something out of this. If you have questions, you can always reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Otherwise, we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the People-Centered Podcast. We are so grateful for you joining us every week. If you like this content, please like and subscribe. Also, feel free to share on your social media with everyone that you know. It really does help us. If you would like to contact us, I have put our information in the show notes. Please reach out anytime. We love hearing from you.
We will be back next week with a new topic. Until then, be well and lead well.